Hi, my name's Stephen, and today I have the privilege of preaching to you the first sermon in our new series called The Promise Endures. For this, we are diving back into the book of Genesis, having been there for the last two summer terms as well. The first one in 2020, looking at the story of Noah, and then last year looking at the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham being this story where God picks a guy out of obscurity and his goodness and grace, grace makes this amazing promise to him that he will be blessed, but through him and through his many descendants will be a blessing to every nation around the world. And so we're picking up on that story this term, looking to see how that promise didn't just stay with Abraham, but endured to the next generation, to son Isaac, to the generation after that, to Jacob as well. And so it's great to see that God just works through those generations, but it doesn't just stop there. Actually, as we read through the Bible, we see it goes to the nation of Israel and then it's passed down to the church and passed down to us as well. These promises don't just stay there many thousands of years ago with these particular people. They're promises that are for us as well. And as we look at God, how God interacts with those people, we learn lots of lessons about how he interacts with us, how we, are have to, how we are to have faith in him and in the promises that he has made to them. Today, we're going to start with chapter 24 in Genesis. It's a long chapter, 67 verses. We're just going to have a look at a few of those as we look at this story. And very quickly, we find it's a romantic story. It's about Isaac finding a wife called Rebecca and how they're joined together and how it's worked out. And, uh, but it's not some sickly sweet or boring banal, just to, to, depending how you look at rom-coms. It's not that kind of romantic story. No, it's a story of epic faith, of radical obedience, of coming into what God is doing upon the whole earth and looking at the fact that God wants him, his people to enter into amazing blessings, blessings that will last not just for a lifetime, but right down through into eternity as well. So let me encourage you as we listen to these first lot of verses, let's engage our minds, engage our brains, engage our hearts and say, God, would you speak to me? How, what are things that you want to say to me today? Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so let's get out of the way. There is something a little bit weird in those first few verses. What is this whole putting your hand under someone else's thigh all about? Well, it's just very simply this. When you make promises, we do various things in, in our culture. We uh, put our hand up maybe and swear, or we put our hand on the Bible and uh, promise to tell the truth. It's that kind of thing. Well, back in their culture, the way they did it was putting your hand under someone else's thigh. Don't worry, the key application of this uh, message is not to put your hand under someone's thigh when you uh, make a promise. That's just a cultural thing back then. 
So let's get on to the main meat of today's message. We're going to look at these three characters and we're going to start with the character of Abraham. What does it look like for him to have faith in God and the promises that he has made him? Abraham is facing this thing of God's made uh, uh, promises to him. How does he work them out in his life? That's something we've got to do. We had decisions to make, uh, ways to live our lives that we need to do in the light of what God has spoken to us about in his word. And how does Abraham start? Well, Abraham is intentional. It says here in a very polite way, Abraham is advanced in years. Kind of a way to say that he is seriously old. He was older when he had his kid. He's even older now. And maybe that's brought into, into his mind, just into sharp focus for him, that he needs to make sure that he's doing everything he can to faithfully do what God has called him to do. And right now, that means that taking the child he has, Isaac, and make sure that Isaac has a wife in preparation for Isaac to have his own children, to do his next step of the stage of these, these wonderful enduring promises. And so he's intentionally looking, thinking, okay, what do I need to do? I need to find a wife and uh, set about it. And no, it's not just about him, but uh, the promises that he has are for generations to come. And Abraham understands this much better than we do. Often when we look at the plans and purposes and promises of God in our own lives, we can be very, very me-centric. And that's because we are in a culture and a generation where it is very, very individualistic. In fact, it's very difficult for us to even understand that there might be a different way to look at the world because we're so kind of steeped in it in kind of decades and decades of this kind of thinking. When we think about God's purposes, we think, what does this mean for me? When it's about leaving legacies, like what kind of name am I going to have left for myself? What am I meant to do? What do I want other people to, to see? That kind of thing. But with Abraham, Abraham understood that to fulfill God's promises was to invest in the future, invest in a future generation. And are we to be the same? We're going to be those who, when we look at the promises of God, that we're not keeping them to ourselves, just thinking about how it impacts ourselves but looking how it impacts others as well. How do we welcome others into this expansive thing that God is doing upon the earth? To illustrate this, let's think about extras in a movie. Now today, if you want a big crowd scene for a movie, you just hire a couple of uh, computer engineers or kind of software developers and you get some good CGI done and you can just cut and paste lots of people into an audience, into a crowd, whatever it used to be. That didn't used to be how it was. Before lots of CGI, they'd have to literally hire thousands upon thousands of extras to do big, epic scenes. But even in recent history, even 20 years ago, when the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where they did have lots of CGI characters, even that film had 20,602 extras. And if I had been in New Zealand at that time, if I had managed to get myself a part as that film, you would know about it. I would have started this sermon by saying, hey, I'm Stephen. It's my privilege to give you the first sermon. And did you know that I was one of the elves in Lord of the Rings? Or if I say, oh, this is my wife, Emma. Nice to meet you. Did you know I was one of the orcs in the Lord of the Rings? Or maybe uh, I'd say, oh, hello, meet me out on a dog walk. Hey, this is my dog, Rosa. And did you know that I'm Stephen and uh, I was one of the dwarfs in the Lord of the Rings? You would know very quickly if I was part of that film. I would have been so proud to be part of that amazing, epic trilogy of movies. And you would have known about it. It would be a privilege to be part of this amazing thing that happened that's kind of, uh, uh, kind of iconic. You know, it's up there in kind of, uh, uh, kind of the annals of movie history, uh, those epic movies. And uh, no doubt they'll be usurped at some other time by other films or the remake of The Lord of the Rings in 10 years' time or something. But right now, they are pretty cool. And, uh, and uh, I'd, I'd be pretty proud to be part of it. And I'd make a lot of it. But if I'd flip that and imagine instead that I was one of the extras on that movie and uh, I suddenly got too big for my boots. Suddenly I'm fourth row back in a, a battle scene. And I start saying, excuse me, director, cut, cut. 
hang on a minute, the, the lighting's not quite right. I don't think you've quite got my best side. Or, hang on a minute, I don't seem to have many lines in this particular scene. Can you please rewrite the script to make sure people can see a bit more of me? I started speaking like that. I think I would have lost my uh, kind of role on that set pretty quickly. I would have been booted off. No one wants an extra who's too big for their boots, who thinks the film is all about them. In the reality, when I think about that, those films, there's a whole kind of cast of characters. And uh, even, even they are kind of submitted to the bigger plot. They're just one amongst many different characters that help tell that big story. The same is true with our life in God and just life generally. Sometimes we can think we're just too big for our boots. It's all about us. We become obsessed about our particular significant role. Are you going to be the next Martin Luther King or Churchill or Angela Merkel or Rosa Parks, whoever it is that you might aspire to be, Beyonce and Jay-Z, maybe. And God's saying, actually, no, no, I've got something far better than you being significant. You can come into the significant thing that I am doing. Something that was kind of was way before your time, something that will last for all eternity. I'm calling you into the thing that I am doing. Let me understand that. And that's quite a, a kind of a mind shift for us. When we think about the purposes of God, the promises of God, and the, the enduring nature of it, that the significance comes from being in it. And actually, instead of being humbling, which it can be when we first realise that, it becomes quite releasing. Suddenly, we've got to be the best version of ourselves and be seen by other people, leave a particular kind of legacy. Suddenly, we can be free. Free to know God's work in us, that we're caught up in what he's doing, and also by giving it away to other people as well. So for Abraham here, he knows that his role is not to make more of himself, it's to make sure that his son is well set up. His son understands and endures and stewards the promises of God for himself. The wonderful thing is that we can all be involved in that. Here, Brighton, Hove and Sean, we want to help others kind of get into the promises of God. It's not about us doing ministry, having particular roles, it's about inviting other people in. We're blessed when more people are added into the purposes of God, into the gospel, into the good news of Jesus Christ, into his church as well. And we need to be intentional about that. That's why we talk a lot about who are you inviting to church? Who have you told about Alpha recently? Who are you beginning to pray for in your life that they might come to know Jesus? Not praying about our own selves, our own kind of, uh, uh, our own authority or our own kind of mission or ministry, but praying for others that they might know Jesus. We want to be intentional. And there's a special place in this for parents. Parents, we have a captive audience. We have children in our homes who we get to talk about Jesus. Now, we don't want to do it in a draconian way, kind of dragging them into the faith, but hopefully helping to communicate our passion for Jesus, communicate to them the amazing love that Jesus, the sacrifice that he's made for them, so he becomes appealing to them, praying for them that they might know Jesus for themselves. We as a church want to keep investing in our children's work, in our youth work, not taking the place of parents. Parents' role in children's life is primary, but helping them to understand more about who Jesus is. That's why we love to invest in the uh, youth event New Day over the summer as well. So as well as investing in the next generation, as well as realising we're some part of something bigger than ourselves, we also need to be uncompromising in our commitment to see God's promises worked out in our lives. Uncompromising in our faith to him. Now, the reality is Abraham has got this wrong. When we looked at this last summer term, and the story really is of how Abraham kind of just hit road bump after road bump, um, and mostly because of his own kind of foolishness, mostly because of his own lack of trust in God. He had twice uh, pretended that his wife was his sister because he was fearful of what people would do to him. Once he went and impregnated his servant girl, so eager was he to kind of get to the thing that he wanted. He wanted to see the promise of generations fulfilled. He went and impregnated someone that wasn't his wife. 
And it ends up all kinds of disaster and animosity in that family. But Abraham, he's advanced in years now. Not just in age, but in terms of his walk with God. He's learned some things. He's learned to trust God, even to the point of laying his son on an altar before God and saying, you know what? I trust you, God. You're the great giver. You can work out your purposes. It's not for me to work out. I trust you and trust your ways. He's learned that. So when we come to this story, when it comes to getting a wife for his son, Isaac, he's not taking any shortcuts. He's not compromising. He's doing it right. He's doing it with integrity. He's doing it with trust. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like not grabbing a wife from just around from where they are. They're in the land of Canaan, surrounded by foreign people who, are, who are kind of worship idols, who are ungodly, who are evil, really, God says. He knows, I can't take a wife from here. If I take a wife from here, that might pollute what God is doing. They're going to bring in other faiths and other beliefs. No, I need to go and find a wife who trusts the living God, who I know will be a holy partner for my son. And he knows that he can't send his son back to go and find someone. He's been told to be in the land with his family. So he can't send Isaac back. He says it a couple of times in that passage. Don't take my son back. It's kind of he's urging this servant. Look, even if I die, make sure you don't take him back. Promise me. Put your hand under my thigh. Make an oath to me that you won't do that. It's important that Isaac stays in the land that was promised to me and my family. That's part of the, the blessings that God is speaking about. So you go back. You go and find this wife. He won't compromise. And because he's uncompromising, it also leads him into a trusting place. It's like, I know God that I'm doing the right thing. Therefore, I know God, you will do me right. You will bless me. You will help me in this. That there will be success because I'm doing it the right way. I'm not going to compromise. He's not kind of trusting uh, kind of through gritted teeth. He's kind of trusting in a very peaceful, joyful way, knowing that God loves those who trust him. So how does this work out for us? Maybe for you, it is literally the issue of a spouse for yourself. We know that marriage is a good thing. Bible talks a lot about it. It's a good thing. Singleness is a good thing as well. It's worth mentioning. But maybe for you, you despise your singleness. And you want to have a spouse so much that you're willing to compromise on who it is that you pursue. Hey, I can't find a Christian man or woman to marry. Therefore, I'm going to go and find someone else. The Bible teaches us, don't do that. Find a partner who loves Jesus. This is the most significant relationship you're going to have in your life. Make sure it's someone who God would say yes and amen to. What situation are you at with that right now? Let me encourage you, don't compromise. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to do what's right in this area. But let me encourage you, do things uncompromisingly. Maybe for you, it's success in the workplace or success financially. Again, God has nothing wrong with that. God does not mind us making money. He says the love of money can lead to evil, but money itself is not evil. It's good to make money and some people are very good at it and we should do it. We should encourage that because uh, they are able to be generous. They're able to do things with that are godly and good. Stewarding it, saving it, spending it, giving it well. We want to encourage that. But sometimes in our ends to make money, we can make bad decisions. We take a promotion or, or we uh, go after a particular uh, financial reward and we do it in a way that sacrifices other things that are good maybe our own health maybe relationships or maybe our integrity it means doing things that are a little bit gray things that aren't totally truthful or, or honest and maybe you know that right now maybe there's a decision you're making in the workplace or with your finances you know it's a little bit gray the reality is there is no gray with God is it good is it true is it righteous or is it wrong and sometimes we just need to look at that Say, you know, it's, it's okay to have money. It's okay to pursue a career. 
But is it coming from selfish ambition? Is it coming from not trusting God with our finances or not trusting God will bring us through? Maybe for you, you're trying to take a shortcut to get yourself out of financial difficulty, which again is good. We don't want to be in financial difficulty, but doing it in a way that's wrong. And just as I was preparing this, I felt maybe some people out there who are currently gambling, maybe just a little flutter here and there, but just a sense of just that's not trusting God. There's compromise there. Let me encourage you, have faith. Trust God in every area of your, your life. No, that's who he blesses. That's how we receive the promise is by trusting him completely. Let's now turn to some more characters in our story. Let's turn to Abraham's servant and Rebecca. And as we, before we do that though, let's listen to the next verses 10 to 28 being read to us. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Noah, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who had known no man. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, whom she brought to Naor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. We've seen in the verses that are read to us that Abraham's servant is also a godly person, that he trusts God. He's willing to go and do things with a mind to how this is going to please God and fulfill his purposes. He's a prayerful man as well. We see throughout this passage that he keeps praying and seeking God and he's quick to obey 
and enter into radical faith and obedience. He acknowledges that he's been given a hard task. Abraham said, hey, can you go and find a wife for my son? And he's like, yeah, okay, well, I'll take Isaac with me. He's like, no, no, you can't take Isaac with you. So he's like, yeah, but Abraham, that means I as a stranger are going to turn up in a strange land and say to a strange woman, come back to me to meet a stranger. It's like the ultimate blind date. It's like, here, come and meet a guy you don't know. And to get there, you need to travel for 500 miles on the back of a camel and come with me who you don't know. I don't know if you've ever been set up a blind date. At least you'd trust the friend and maybe it's just an evening out. Now, this is like trusting someone you don't even know to go to another land that you've never been to and meet a guy you've never met. That is quite a big ask. And the serpent acknowledges that. Abraham, can I, are you really asking me to do this? And Abraham, as we've just discussed, is uncompromising. He's like, yeah, absolutely. We're doing it because this is the right way. And we can trust God that God will bring us through. And so the serpent's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to go and do the thing you've asked me to do and I'm going to trust God as well. Now, in reality, he could have compromised himself. He could have not gone the 500 miles back to the land that Abraham came from. He could have gone 30 miles down the road and camped out there for a few months and uh, just kind of pretended like he'd been there and come back. And he come back to Abraham and said, look, I went there and none of the women were willing to come and so sorry, I couldn't fulfill the mission. Therefore, I'm free from your oath. He could have got away with that, no problem. But he's not, he's a godly man who follows through on the things that God has told him to do. He's intentional, he's uncompromising like Abraham, and he follows all the way through. And you know what, sometimes fulfilling the promises of God in your own life means going some, on some hard journeys. I don't think many of us have to get on a camel for 500 miles. We have our own battles that we need to work through, little humps that we've got to go over, things we've got to battle through on, in prayer. Sometimes the expectations of other people on us are difficult. But we're to be those who battle through, work through uh, those things. Sometimes we go into these things not knowing what the outcome would be. Both Abraham and the servant, they don't know what the outcome is going to be. They know that God is with them, but how's it going to work out? They don't know. There's a sense of just maybe, maybe it'll work out. This reminds me of the story of Jonathan and his armour bearer elsewhere in the scriptures, where Jonathan and the guy carrying his armour, they're facing a big army. And uh, one day they're like, let's go and take a punt. Let's go and see if we can be there. Maybe God will give us victory. But in one sense, they're less concerned with the outcome and more concerned with just doing what, doing what God has given them to do. Being faithful with the opportunities, faithful with the talents and the abilities and resources they have in their hands. And that's the same for us. Faith sometimes is just taking a punt on the promises of God. We don't know the outcome. We don't know what the fruits of our actions or our words are going to be. But we do know that we can be faithful with what God has given us. One, I heard a wonderful story uh, last week where Paul, uh, who's one of our church members here at uh, the Clarendon Centre site, uh, was on the seafront and he approached a woman who was struggling and prayed for her and prayed for her healing and invited her to come to church. She came to church, a lovely woman called Maria, and uh, she then came on one of our Alpha courses, found that Jesus was real and true and loved her, gave her life to him respond to the gospel. And last Sunday morning, we had the wonderful opportunity of hearing her story and baptising her. And we celebrated. And we love the fact that God's now using her to go and reach other people. Well done, Paul, for taking a punt in faith, just approaching someone and telling them about Jesus. I have approached many people in my life and told them about Jesus and invited them to church. Lots of them have not come to church or been healed or got back in the baptism pool. Does God love Paul more or God does, does God love me more? The answer is he loves us both perfectly. God loves the effort that Paul went to to go and approach Maria. God loves it when I've asked people to come to church, even when they don't come. 
God loves the effort. God loves the faithfulness that uh, is exhibited when we take steps for him. When I was at school, my school report used to have two letters or two, two things on it. I used to have the letter for the achievement and then the number for the effort. So the top you get was A for outcome, like your work is an A grade standard. And one was you made maximum effort. So sometimes my report would be, to be often B, I'm a, I'm a B grade student to be fair. I get a B and then like a four. Which means like, okay, the outcome is good, but you're not really making much effort. And sometimes it'd be the other way around. I got a D, but it's one for effort. I tried really hard. And you know, when I got home and my parents are seeing the report, you know, they would look at what the outcome is and they would care about that. But they'd look at the effort when it comes to talking to me. So Steve, oh, we can see you've made loads of effort. And I said, it doesn't matter what the outcome was because we're pleased that you're putting the effort in. The same with God. God is looking at what are you doing with what's in front of you? Are you making the effort? Not to earn his love, because God is pleased with those who express faith in action. That's what we've just been looking at in the book of James. He loves when we take the things that are before us and put our faith into action, in our words, in our deeds, with our giving, with our relationships, all kinds of things. As this servant, he puts his faith into action. He doesn't know what the outcome's going to be, but he just goes for it, goes full out for it. The wonderful thing about the servant as well is he's an amazing picture of who Jesus is. Jesus also left his home in heaven to come to us with this wonderful message of the God's promises. And uh, this servant went to Rebecca and said, hey, you can be part of what God is doing on the whole earth. God made a promise to Abraham, but you can be part of that promise as well, that you might be blessed and also be a blessing to a gazillion people. As many as sand on the seashore, you can be part of that. The servant comes to say that. Jesus, the great servant leader, who laid his life down for us, comes and says the same to us. You can be blessed in me. You can be blessed and be part of what God is doing upon the earth. That's his invitation to you. And we get to be involved in that as well. We get to be like the servant as well as being served by the great servant, Jesus. Let's finish by looking at Rebecca. How does Rebecca respond in faith? The servant arrives, says, hey, you can be part of God's purposes. What does she do? Well, she greets it with great hospitality. This is wonderful bit of the story, isn't it? Where the servant says to God, no, who is it who's going to water me and water my camels? And out comes Rebecca, gets water from the well, gives him water and gives water to the camels as well. She could have been suspicious of this stranger. She could have treated him with hostility, but instead she's hospitable. She goes the extra mile for him to receive him. Same is true of us. When we receive Jesus, this one who's coming to service, this one who's coming, uh, encouraging us into the purposes of God. How are we receiving him? How are we receiving his words? Maybe you're a believer, but there's some things that God is maybe saying to you that are difficult right now. Let me encourage you, engage with him with a soft heart, not hard heart, soft heart, warm heart towards him. Or maybe you're someone who's looking, on the, on in, on in faith, kind of looking, on, looking in on things of faith, but don't yet have faith. Let me encourage you. Receive Jesus with hospitality, not hostility. Don't push him away. Yes, there's things that are hard to understand. There's going to be some hard asks. You're going to be asked to come on a long journey with Jesus, which does mean that you're going to have to forego some things, maybe. You might have to make some hard calls in your life. But let me tell you, he is good. He has good for you. Don't push him away. And sometimes we need to be like Rebecca. Don't just go to the well once. We need to go back time and time again. And come and water the things that God's got for us. Maybe you've done an Alpha course. Maybe you need to go and do another Alpha course. Maybe you had questions about how to knock back. Or maybe the church has disappointed you in some way, missed your expectations. That happens. But don't let that put you off. Come again and receive what Jesus has for you. 
She sees hospitable to the things of God. And what happens next is the servant then goes and speaks to Rebecca's family. She welcomes the servant into her home to meet her mom and dad and the rest of the family and begin to talk about this potential of her leaving her home and traveling miles and miles and miles to marry this guy. And they have this interaction. And eventually they decide that it's a good thing. And uh, they come back to Rebecca. Let me read you what happens next. It says this. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. What happens is that Rebecca is given an opportunity to respond. You know, in, in, a, in a day and age where arranged marriage was the usual, she had the opportunity, will you go? She says, yes, I will go. She responded in faith to this opportunity. Jesus is saying, will you follow me? And the answer has got to be yes and amen. We will follow you wherever you lead us, Jesus. Is that your response? Is that response with other things that maybe God has spoken to you about? Are you ready and willing to go? The servant was, and now Rebecca is as well. And uh, at this point, Rebecca, she's not even met Isaac. She's not seen Abraham. She's not been to this land. But she's trusting that God is speaking to her. This reminds me of some verses in the New Testament. This one from Hebrews 11, where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's not blind faith, but it's being sure of what we've heard, of what we know. Or maybe Jesus' words to Thomas, who wouldn't believe unless he'd seen Jesus' hands and feet for himself. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. There is blessing for those who have not seen with their eyes, but have chosen to believe, chosen to trust in the promises that God has made. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his work upon the cross. That's where the blessing is. That's where faith is rewarded. How? By being added into God's enduring promises of new life, of forgiveness for sins, of the Lord God Almighty becoming our saviour, God becoming your father, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being given everything for life and godliness and many, many blessings besides, being those who are caught up into this expanding kingdom that God is creating upon the earth. Rebecca is brought in. She says, I will go. This promise that was made to Abraham, she is now entering into with this new husband of hers, Isaac. Let's finish by looking at just the last few verses of this chapter. It says this, Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Ahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. I want to be finished by saying that wonderful romantic ending of our story. Rebecca finally does meet her husband, Isaac, and he loves her. He takes her for his wife and the two come together 
It's a wonderful ending to our romantic story uh, that the blessing did in fact begin to go down to the next generation. But something greater is at play here. It's pointing towards the greatest marriage of all time. All marriages, all romantic stories point forward to the greatest romantic story of Jesus' love for his church, what the Bible calls his bride. That's what the church is. A bit funny for us as guys to feel like we're now in a, we're a bride as well. Uh, that's, that's okay, because marriage is a beautiful thing. God loves this. This, this ultimate of, of human relationships mirrors something in the cosmic realm. That God loves the church. And then Rebecca, this responsive bride who hasn't yet met Isaac, but has chosen to go to him, eventually does see him. And she asks herself, is this him? Is this the guy? She says, yes, this is him. Let me tell you, there's a time coming where we will unmistakably see the husband, the prince, the one who loves us, the one who's, who has always loved us and who's going to love us perfectly right throughout eternity. We will see Jesus face to face. He will be unmistakable to us. He will be beautiful and majestic and he will call us home into this great betrothal, into this great marriage, into this great marriage feast we see played out at the end of the Bible. When the earth shall fade away and a new earth will be created, we will live with him forever in that place. A place where there is no suffering, a place where there is no disease, no pandemic, there is no war or conflict or death, there is no deceit, there is no darkness, there is life and goodness forevermore. Well, we'll be joined with Jesus. So let me encourage you, let's have faith like Abraham. Let's be uncompromising and intentional. Let's have faith like that servant who went on radical adventures for him, being caught up into helping others join the expansive thing that God is doing on earth. And let's be like Rebecca. Let's be hospitable to the message that Jesus gives us. And let's be those who will say, I will go. I will follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth, knowing that's where we receive the blessing and the promise that God has for us. Let me finish by praying. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you are doing, uh, all they have done down through history and through the earth, Lord God. Thank you the church is still being built and is established. At times we look at it and feel like it's weak and it's fading, Lord God, but thank you that's just not true. Thank you there's more Christians on the earth than there's, than there's ever been. This thing continues to grow and grow and thank you that we get to be part of it. That's where our significance comes from, from being joined to you and what you are doing. It's not about how great our lives is, it's because we have a great God. Help us to keep putting our faith in you, keep looking to you, particularly as we go through this sermon series. Would you speak to us? Help us to grow in faith. Help us to find areas of our lives where we need to line up more with you and keep giving us the power and the grace to do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.